Thank you for joining the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Hey everyone, Pastor Tim McLaughlin here, Senior Pastor of Life Church. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. Last week we started a series of probably going to last a while. Um, as I really felt led to go through the book of Romans and to teach on the book of Romans. and So last week we kind of laid a foundation. We began to talk about the who, what, when, where, and why. The, the why is really the, the key because Romans is such an impactful letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to separate and prepare the, the way for uh, his anticipated journey to, to Spain. He wanted to stop and visit the Romans, and he wanted to share with the Gentile believers, and he wanted to, to clarify some things that they had been told that were not true. Uh, Paul, at, at this point, had been ministering for 25 years since his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and uh, he had been traveling around three missionary journeys telling people about Jesus and the gospel. And then he, he gets word of Rome and this thriving church in, the, in Rome. And, and he says, man, I want to go see this, this, this empire where uh, you know, so many people are, are at and it's just a, a growing metropolis. And I want to go and I want to preach the truth. Uh, we're going to find out today, you know, Paul didn't plan on going to Rome the way that he went to Rome. But nonetheless, he got there and he accomplished the task that God had laid before him. I shared with you last week, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us all scripture, even right here in Romans as we're breaking this down, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, man or woman, that you who are listening to this, Hopefully through this teaching, you will be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the reason the Apostle Paul is teaching. That's the reason why I want to take time to break down this study of the book of Romans, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was in Rome. So last week, we covered Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And, uh, and I shared with you a lot of things, and hopefully this one will not be uh, as lengthy because we've already laid the foundation, but we'll see. Uh, we're going to start off in verse number 8 today, Romans chapter 1, verse number 8. The Apostle Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now, at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise, so, as much as in, as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here we just read verses 8 through 17. These are what's called the introduction. This, this makes it very clear why the Apostle Paul is writing the letter. You say, well, Pastor Tim, if this is the introduction, what was it we talked about last week? Well, that, that was just Paul's kind of lead-in. That was just Paul's um, opening statement. But when we get to verse number 8, now this is his introduction as he begins to share with the Roman believers, the Gentile believers in Rome, that... Uh, why he's writing this letter. He had never met them. I mentioned this last week. Paul had never been to Rome. He had not met, met any of these Roman believers. So he's trying to introduce to them why he is sending them this lengthy letter and why it's so important that they read it. So verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's interesting that whenever possible, the Apostle Paul begins his letters by expressing appreciation for whatever was commendable to his readers. Not only is this interesting that Paul is, is, is giving them some uh, appreciation, some, some good news at the beginning, I think it's interesting because when you get to the book of Revelation and Jesus himself is speaking to John, and he's given him instruction to the uh, seven churches in Asia Minor. He starts off each one of these letters and he says, these things you have done good before he talks about the things they're not doing good. So before the book of Revelation was ever written, before Jesus had ever given John these, these directions and these instructions to the churches, the Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. He is expression, uh, expressing their, his gratitude. He's expressing the good things of what they're doing there in Rome before he gets to any other type of teaching that we'll look at later. I, I believe this is something that all of us as the body of Christ, as the church, we should learn. We should try to find ways to, to look at the good in people and talk about those good things instead of the negativity. Listen, there's enough negativity in the world. There's enough negativity in the news. There's enough negativity in our local communities. We can find fault with people all day long. I, you can find fault with me. But what a better world to live in when we can start off by praising people for what they're doing good. See, Paul's thanksgiving to the Gentile church, to others that believe... It was a thanksgiving through Christ Jesus. All of our activities, all of our pleasing to God, only through Jesus Christ. God is well pleased with His Son, and as a believer, we are accepted in the Son. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. 
See, the Roman Christian's testimony was talked about throughout the whole Roman Empire, which then, back in those days, constituted the whole world from the perspective of those living in the Mediterranean area. Those that were living in this area, that's all they knew was the Roman Empire. They didn't know anything else. There was no America back there. There, were, there was no South America back then. There was no... Uh, other areas. They only knew about the, the area that the Romans had conquered around the Mediterranean. It's evident that the work that God had begun in Rome started a number of years prior to Paul writing this letter. This was not some new work that Paul had just heard about. It had been going on for some time. I want you to remember this, and I'm going to keep saying some of these things so that you'll get it, that Paul had been preaching this gospel for 25 years. Paul's encounter took place after the day of Pentecost. It was several years after the church had started. You need to remember, Paul was a student of a man by the name of Gamaliel. So Paul is learning about the scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophets, the law under Gamaliel, while Jesus is, is traveling around the region of Galilee in Judea, and he's Jesus is preaching these things, and Paul is learning about this Old Testament. They were believing for a Messiah. The Messiah was here, but Paul was sitting there and did not yet know. So when Paul comes out after Jesus's um death, resurrection, and ascension, there are these apostles, There's, there are these men, and they're called the way. They weren't yet called Christians. They were called the people of the way, the way of this man, Jesus. They were going out and preaching, and Paul had heard about all this. And so then Paul comes in, and he begins to persecute Christians. He begins to persecute those uh, of the way. And so this message, the day of Pentecost, this message and the apostles had, had went out. And then Paul has an encounter on the road to Damascus that forever changed his life. And then he began to go out and tell others about Jesus. So I, I want you to understand that this, this message had been, being, had been going on for some time now. Um, it's evident, again, that this work had started years past, and we have no historical or biblical proof of who actually started the church in Rome. It is not confirmed anywhere in our Bible or anywhere in church history uh, that it was an apostolic an apostolic church, uh, meaning that there, we have no proof that one of the original 12 or, or the original 11 apostles would have actually went to Rome and started the church. Uh, many have tried to give the Apostle Peter credit for starting the church, such as the Roman Catholics. But again, there is no proof that it was Peter that went to Rome. We, we, we have no proof of that. If you read in the book of Acts, we never see where the Bible says that, that Peter went to Rome and started the church. So how did the Christian church in Rome begin? And why is it spoken of throughout the whole known world? Well... Let's look at this. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under 
heaven. Now I want to pause right there. Pentecost was a huge celebration. It was it was an Old Testament um, celebration of the harvest, and so people from all of the world, were, the known world back then, were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. Jesus had been crucified, placed in a tomb risen from the grave, ascended into heaven. The disciples are praying. They don't know what to do. Their Lord has been taken away. They're locked in the upper room and they're praying and they're seeking God and the Spirit of God falls upon them. And when the Spirit of God falls upon them, the city is bursting with with thousands of people. And all of a sudden, they, they, these, these Jews, these apostles, these followers of Christ get baptized in the Holy Ghost and they begin to speak in a language that they don't know about. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and it says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in our own language in each in which we were born? Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are all full of new wine. See, Romans, there were, there were Roman Gentiles, there were, there, they were there in Jerusalem on the, the day of Pentecost for the feast. They heard these... Um, these Jewish Galilean fishermen, tax collectors, uneducated people speaking in a tongue directly to them. They were speaking in the Roman language just as much as they were speaking in the language of the, the Phygerians, the Paphilians, the Egyptians. They were speaking about the things of God, the wonderful works of God. So how did the church in Rome get started? By word of mouth. And the testimony of those who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the word was taken back to Rome and it began to spread. Why is our testimony so important? Why do we need to share what we believe and what we have seen and what we have heard? Because this is how the church really grows. Listen, a church doesn't grow because you got a bigger billboard than the next guy. The church doesn't grow because you've got a fancier sign or a bigger building. The church is going to grow when signs and wonders begin to take place in your church and people take the testimony out into the streets, to their workplace, to their families, to their friends, and begin to tell others about it. Listen, if people start getting up out of wheelchairs, if blind eyes start opening, if deaf ears start opening, people are going to go out and tell others about it and others are going to begin to come
come to this church. Listen, we think of, of growing churches as, as, well, they've got more money and they can do these, these great things and they have all these, these ball fields and they put on these great events. Well, that's all great. But when people start getting healed, when people start getting delivered, when people start uh, getting miraculously, I mean, just touched by God, that's going to go out and people are going to want to come. That's how the church in Rome started. They saw what had taken place on the day of Pentecost and it so impacted them that they went back and began to tell others and those people began to study out the things that they had seen and heard. Verse number 9. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. The phrase, with my spirit, is significant here. Paul speaks of his spirit in terms of worship. Jesus said in John 4.24, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Later, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul is talking about his spirit, man. The term spirit is the word pneuma in the Greek. And then we get the word soul, which is our psyche. Oftentimes, these words are used interchangeably by others when we read the scriptures, but never does the Apostle Paul use these two phrases interchangeably? Paul emphasizes, especially in this letter to the Romans, that his spiritual life is different than his natural life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can we know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. See, Paul is, is talking about how we need to live according to the Spirit. A, a good study of this, uh, these terms that we just looked at in the epistles will help us to understand some things. Author F.F. F. Bruce said this, Spirit and soul are not only distinguished in Paul's writings, but set in contrast to one another. Paul, the Apostle Paul, completely separated spirit and soul, pneuma and psyche. Because the Roman Christians let their light shine before men, Paul was constrained to pray for them without ceasing. He calls God as his witness to the consistency of his prayers because no one else could have known this. But God knows whom the apostles served with his spirit in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's service was with his spirit. It was not that of a religious drudge going through endless rituals and reciting prayers and liturgies. It was a service that was bathed in fervent, believing prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Apostle Paul says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Apostle Paul truly practiced what he preached. Although Paul was not personally acquainted with many of the Roman Christians, he prayed for all of them. 
We don't have to know everyone in the church to pray for everyone. God knows them and he knows those in other churches, in other states, in other countries that need prayer. All we need to do is pray. I can pray for believers in Africa. I can pray for believers in South America. I can pray for a church where I don't know anybody if somebody says, hey, would you pray for them? That's why when people say, would you pray for my cousin, my niece, my nephew, my whoever, even though I don't know that person, I can lift them up to God in prayer. It was Paul's life devoted to the tireless service of making known the good news about Jesus Christ. And he did so because he fervently prayed. Verse 10 says, making request if by some means, now at last I find my way in the will of God to come to you. See, Paul longed to see those in Rome, hoping that he might be used by God to impart into, the, into them some spiritual gift which would be for their establishment in truth. See, Paul desired to visit the Roman Christians, and it was so strong that he said, I will do it if by any means. Now, let me just tell you right now, saints, be careful what you pray. You just might get it. Paul said, if by any means, God took him up on his offer. For later he went to Rome, not as he chose, but he went to Rome as a prisoner. Paul considered himself to be a prisoner of Christ, and not of Nero. What do you mean? Well, he went to Rome because he petitioned to see Caesar because he was being held captive as a Roman citizen and also as a Jew for preaching, preaching Christ. He petitioned to go to Rome to stand before Caesar and plead his case. So many would say, well, Paul was a prisoner then of Nero. He was a prisoner of the Roman citizenship. But Paul considered himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14 says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Even those around Paul, those Roman guards that were guarding him, those that, that, that had arrested him and, and chained him up in handcuffs, they begin to notice, listen, we may have this guy bound by metal handcuffs, but he is more bound by the gospel that he preaches, this Jesus that he declares. That's who truly has Paul bound, not our change, not, not, not a bunch of Roman soldiers. See, the apostle Paul earnestly prayed for the privilege of visiting this assembly located in the capital of the Roman Empire. While all men of that time aspired to see the fabled capital city of the world of that day, Paul did not measure his longing on the basis of the outward magnificence of the great city. He longed to meet with his own fellow believers. Listen, Paul wasn't concerned about, man, I want to get to Rome because I want to see uh, the statues. I want to get to Rome because I want to see the, 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 um, the, this great stadium that everybody's talking about. Paul didn't want to get to Rome to take a sightseeing tour. Paul wanted to get to Rome to meet with fe fellow believers, to meet with those that were, that were preaching the gospel, that were doing these things that had spread abroad. 
See, some of these people Paul wanted to meet were his kinsmen. They were fellow workers of Christ. Some were even prisoners, just as he was, of the gospel. But all of them were Christian brothers and sisters. See, the ties of the Christian fellowship are special, and particularly so during times of opposition and persecution. Look around. Look at the society that we're living in. Look what's going on in our world. We're coming out of two years of a pandemic, and now all of a sudden our economy is going crazy, and there are many out there that can't afford gas and they can't afford food. We are living in times right now where people are struggling, and this is the time for the church to arise. Love for Christ prevents narrowness of spirit. The richer our vertical relationship is to Christ, the greater will be our horizontal relationship with others. Let me say that again. The richer our vertical relationship is with Christ, our prayer time, our study time, the time we spend with the Lord worshiping Him, the, the, the richer that time is, then the greater will be our horizontal relationship with others. The more time we spend with God, the more blessed we are going to be and the more of a blessing we will be with others. Verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Paul's compelling desire was to help the saints spiritually so that they might be further established in the faith. There is no thought here of his conferring some second blessing on them, nor did he intend to impart some spiritual gift by the laying on of hands, though he had done this for others, such as his young son in the faith, Timothy. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid hands on Timothy, and he was encouraging Timothy to, to stir up that gift. Paul had not yet been to Rome, so he couldn't lay hands on them. So the blessing that he was conferring upon them was one that was bathed in prayer. Paul's purpose was a matter of helping their spiritual growth through the ministry of the Word of God. They had, they had heard, they had seen these things on the day of Pentecost. Now Paul was wanting to give them even further instruction and truth. Verse 12, That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul goes on to explain that there would be a mutual blessing. He would be encouraged and blessed by their faith, and they would be encouraged and blessed by His faith. Listen, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are called to bless others, and then the fruit of that blessing is that we also are blessed. In all edifying societies, such as churches and Christian organizations, there is a spiritual enrichment. What the heck does that mean, Pastor Tim? Listen, in the church of Jesus Christ and in Christian organizations, we are called to give spiritual enrichment to others. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's what we're called to do. We're not supposed to talk about the church across the street because they're a different denomination than we are. We're supposed to encourage that church. We're not supposed to get upset with people because they're bigger than we are and doing more than we are. And we're not supposed to, to look down upon those that are smaller, but we're supposed to encourage one another in the faith as iron sharpens iron. 
See, Paul wasn't talking to the Roman church and said, well, let me tell you about the Corinth church. Let me tell you about the church in Thessalonica. Let me tell you about the church over in Philippi. No, he's writing to the Roman church and he says, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. Take note that the Apostle Paul's humility and graciousness was not above being helped by other saints. Paul was humble. He said, listen, I'm praying for you and I want to come teach you. But he also knew he couldn't do all this work on his own. Verse 13, he says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases and, and kind of mine too. I, I love this. He says, I would not have you to be unaware. In, in other letters, he says this, I would not want you to be ignorant. Look at Romans eleven twenty five. 25. He says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mysteries, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to, is, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. See, Paul's not calling them a name. He's not trying to tell them they're stupid. He said, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be uneducated. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know these things because it is important. That is the reason we study. That's the reason we teach. That's the reason I preach. Is so that none should be ignorant. Paul had tried to go to Rome, but was often hindered, either by the pressing needs of others or by direct restraint of the Holy Spirit or even possibly by the opposition of Satan because he didn't want him to go to Rome. Whatever reason, Paul was often hindered. Paul desired to have some fruit among the Gentiles in Rome as he had had among other believers that he had visited in other regions. In verse 11 and 12, Paul's aim was to see Roman Christians encouraged by their faith. This was the passion of the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. Fruit for his labor. Now, I'm going to have to wrap this up for today. We'll pick this up again next week. But I want you to understand... Grab a hold of this letter. It's important for us to grasp these things just as Paul was teaching to the church that was in Rome. If you don't have a church, we would love to have you here. Life Church in Perry, Georgia, 100 Todd Road. We want to, we want to pray for you. We want to help you in any way that we could. And we want you to know that we love you and we're here for you. God bless you and have a great week.